Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again here with our Queer Clouders and Allies at SoundCloud. It's me, Elton, and I've got Clem here. Say hi, Clem. Hey. We are so excited because within the next few weeks, SF Pride is about to happen here in San Francisco. We're really excited because, of course, our office gets to participate in that event, and we're really looking forward to that. But right now, I really want to be able to introduce two special guests of ours that are activists within the community, uh, their volunteer work, and just the time that they spend really devoting themselves to this community. Um, we have Tita Ida, who's a well-known Bay Area role model. She has 20 years HIV-AIDS activism within the community. Uh, she's also known in the LGBT community for various projects, especially reaching out to the Asian and Pacific Islander LGBT community. She's also currently a program supervisor of Trans Thrive. And of course, for those of you that aren't familiar with Trans Thrive, it's a drop-in center here in San Francisco for the trans community, whose mission is to foster a healthy trans community empowered by leadership of its peers. Thank you, Tita Ida, for joining us. We also have Mauro here as well. Okay, is a good friend of mine, and he holds a master's in cultural anthropology with an emphasis in gender, ecology, and society. He's a social justice advocate, writer, and youth worker, in addition to pursuing independent academic research on issues of gender, race, immigration, and sexuality. He's currently working as a youth program manager at the Family Violence Law Center located in Oakland. Um, Mauro also runs his own blog called Chico Moreno, where he explores issues of identity politics, race, racism, gender deviance, immigration, and xenophobia. You can check that out at www.chicomoreno.tumblr.com. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. We are so excited to have you guys here. You know, this is really important for us because Clementine and I wanted to really share something special with this company that we're really proud to be a part of. Um, so we wanted to make this kind of fun. You know, we came up with a couple of questions, and we're going to pull it out of this fishbowl that we created here. But before we start, um, why don't you guys share a bit about yourselves? Who are we going to put on the spot first? <laughs> okay, it's Tita. Okay, so, um, well, I think I, what I'd like to share is that I've been in the Bay Area for almost like 20 years now, more than 20 years, and um, it has been my... Home, like I call it home already, and um, I've tried work. Uh, I tried living in different places, but I think San Francisco has always been kind of like that warm, fuzzy kind of like all my relatives are here, all my family, and then I developed so many great friendships with folks around here. So, and uh, this is where it, my activism really was born when I started with San Francisco AIDS Foundation, and uh, it's um, it's been kind of like the um, the foundation for me because at that time, you know, HIV and AIDS was very different at that time. This was in 89, 1989, where we didn't have anything like what we have right now in terms of uh, um, medications and, um, and treatments, for, you know, so it was a very different landscape at that time. So, so you know, and then I kind of like seeing the epidemic move to a, well, much better place now after sure. 30 years, you know, so, um, but um, it has been the foundation of everything that I do, actually, so, and then reaching out to more specific, like with the Asian Pacific Islander LGBT and non, non-queer also, you know, so, and then more, more, more now with the trans community where, you know, being, identifying as trans, you know, I, you kind of like, just become like, Okay, trans community, you know, it's like, but there's so many needs and um, and issues and um, topics that we can tackle about the trans population that uh, that they're going through right now. So, you know, 
Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. I, and Clem and I have talked about that. It's like, I feel like within our community right now, it's like the trans community is something that we're really focusing on because there's, it's kind of that quiet voice out there, you know, they're mm-hmm. a part of our community, but, you know, I, I feel that there's a lot more representation that, you know, that can be shared with them. And I feel like that's something that's definitely um, become more known, which I think is great. You know, I think that there's there's always a learning um process that we're going through even as a community Mm -hmm. um so i think that that's awesome so thanks for joining us and even though lgbt spaces can purport to be pretty inclusive like i found i mean i've seen that the the t and the lgbt can often be pretty excluded Mm -hmm. how about you maro um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I feel like I should be honest and let everyone know that first and foremost, I identify as a Californian. Um, awesome. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, you know, really informed a lot of, you know, the work that I do, the places that I, I spend my time and where I put my energy. You know, I was raised in the Central Valley of California in Fresno and, you know, growing up in a place where there's you know, a lot of poverty, a lot of, you know, drug use and seeing people around me, um, you know, sort of fall to a lot of those things just really informed my desire to get out of Fresno so I could have some freedom from that place and be able to think in more, you know, imaginative ways in spaces that kind of, you know, fostered critical thought and then spending time in Southern California and then moving, you know, almost a decade ago up here to the, to the Bay Area. Um, I just feel like it's it's really gifted me with uh, a perspective that, you know, people from outside of California call it one thing. And people within California know that there are about a million different places. Mm-hmm. And I sort of use that as a parallel for thinking about LGBTQ communities. You know, people within them understand what rich diversity there is and how much that needs to be attended to. And, um, yeah, I try to, you know... Uh, speak alongside people whose voices aren't heard as often because in a lot of ways, you know, I can't have a loud voice and how can I make the best use of that voice? Yeah. Thanks. You know, I mean, just kind of thinking about that, and I I know we're going to talk more in detail, but, you know, coming from an area that isn't as vibrant as, say, San Francisco, do you try to share your work, you know, back home in Fresno and, you know, in other areas? I know that that's something that, you know, Clem and I definitely wanted to ask both of you is, you know, we... I think that on both sides of the coast, um, diversity and, and the openness is, is definitely there. But then there are other areas, of course, where, you know, it's definitely a whole new world, mm-hmm. you know. And that's when you have to really take what you've learned and how do you share that with people that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can really take away a benefit from that. Yeah, um, I think that for me, you know, it, it took me a while to, you know, you know, return to Fresno, I use return with, you know, kind of air quotes because, um, you know, it took me a while to be able to to see it for what it was and not just something that shaped me in ways that displeased me. Um, And, you know, I've been able to return and work on, you know, visibility campaigns for queer youth. A good friend of mine growing up, um, you know, ended up starting this queer visibility campaign with rainbow wristbands. And, you know, from the beginning, they said the rainbow wristband says nothing about you or your sexuality, but all it says is that you're supportive. You know, and so that was something that spread. And soon, you know, when I'd go back home to town, I couldn't go anywhere without seeing people with rainbow wristbands. 
And through that, I decided that one thing that I really wanted to explore more was the way that uh, queer youth in Fresno negotiate relationships to Christianity. Fresno has one of the highest church-to-population ratios of any city in the entire country. And that's just such a a, a force in a place where there aren't a lot of opportunities for community engagement outside of Christian communities. And so, you know, I think in a lot of, you know, more urban, secular places, we have the privilege of being able to divorce these things in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone, but in some ways. And in a place like Fresno to, you know, kind of, abdicate yourself from a religious community means like you know social death mm-hmm. in a way and so talking with young people who don't at all see a conflict between those things and the way they've queered christianity has been you know really inspiring to see so, yeah it's definitely a great time right now like in our community with all these changes that we get to see I and mean, we have a we have a long road ahead of us but i think that like I mean, if I just look at, you know, over the years that I've been involved with the community, it's great to see these amazing changes and these people that are so actively involved, like making a difference and, you know, these small steps, you know, whether it's just like a a rainbow bracelet that signifies that you're supporting a community, that step turns into something so much bigger, which I think is so awesome. So, all right, so let's go ahead and take advantage of this little fishbowl here and shake it up a bit. It kind of seems All different colors, probably too. Yeah, these rainbow yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> And we've got our SoundCloud logo on it, too. Uh, so I'm going to go for the blue since it's my favorite color. That's just your shirt. <laughs> All right. So question number one. Have you faced any challenges in the workplace? If so, how did you work through them? Hmm. You know, um, I, I've been blessed to work in a very supportive environment. I work for a nonprofit organization called Asian Pacific Island Wellness Center, and I've been with them for almost like 17 years now. So, mm-hmm. uh, talk about loyalty, you know. So, but uh, it's, um, you know, the uh, when they had their. In, when I went on board with them in 1994, they didn't have a transgender program. So it was, it was just really um, something that um, they were doing outreach. They were uh, um, bridging and doing linkages for trans folks for different services, especially if they test positive for mm-hmm. HIV. But there wasn't really a solid transgender program at that time to do prevention work and direct services. So so the environment was really very supportive for me. I think it was a bigger picture for me that um, that I have to deal with things that sometimes the agency doesn't even have control over with, like health insurance, you know, because I, um, it, in order for me to be able to get a prescription for hormones, you know, I had to go through so many obstacles in terms of just getting, just getting a, a, a doc, just to see a doctor that that would be sensitive to and um, would be able to give uh, what I'm needing for my for my hormone replacement therapy. So that was one big challenge, and you know, by the time it gets approved. Here we are, there's new policies coming out, there's new things coming out, they were changing a new, to a new insurance, so health insurance. So it, those were the challenges that I faced. And it was not in, in, the, in front of you, but 
you know, you feel kind of like everybody's getting their benefits and I'm not getting my benefits, mm-hmm. you know. So those were the challenges that I faced a lot. Um, with, with coworkers, you know, I think you, they weave themselves out eventually, you know, when when you have those folks who just can't work with trans or queer folks, you know, because, you know, it's a work environment. You know, you, you can't discriminate. You can't, I mean, you shouldn't be discriminating, but, you know, people, you don't, you never know who comes through that door, you know, exactly. and, yeah. and it's, it's just really interesting how when they get there, you know, they, the simplest, they can't even get the pronouns correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've told you like 10 to the 10 you know, and like, tell me, I mean, I'm telling you female pronouns, you know, and, and that was the thing that was kind of like, they weave themselves out. They'll eventually, you know, move on and everything. So, but big challenges, I really see more of like on our, with our, with our clients, our clients really have the biggest impact of that. Not, not in their workplace, but just like outside, because I, I escort clients to getting their name and gender change and all those things. Oh my God. You know, that's why a lot of people, what's the use of a drop-in center? Oh, trust me. When do you go to the drop-in center? You feel safe. You feel supported. You feel at least someone's talking to you on a level where, you know, you want to be, you, you want to talk, you mm-hmm. know? So, so just those things for me, you know, but I'm sure there's bigger, I mean, there's a lot of folks out there who go beyond, I mean, who will experience something more than bigger than what I've experienced, you know? Yeah. And that was one thing that I had noticed as an HIV test counselor is, is that you get a client that comes in and like you said, you know, they come to get tested, but mm-hmm. they really wanted to be able to just, you know, talk about a concern mm-hmm. or an issue that they were dealing with and didn't have, you know, resource to, um, you know, talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, it just hearing you talk about that, you know, being a testing counselor and having those moments with different clients from the queer community and the trans community, I mean, you really learn that, you know, these these um, resources that we have where you can drop in, you know, really play a big role in these people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, and how they handle it, like, as soon as they leave the room, you know, and you give them a sense of, like, understanding that, you know, I'm listening to you and, and in some way I understand what you're going through, you know, but you are being heard, mm-hmm. you know, so... Do you feel like now, especially as times change, that, you know, those same challenges that you face when you first started with an organization and compared to now, do you see a significant change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like... I'm not seeing your work in action also, like, what you've just done within the trans community and just, you know, the younger generation of people that you've really... You know, kind of help role. You know, become a role model for. Yeah, I mean, I think I just want to give an idea of like what the drop-in center is all about. You know, just briefly, it's a um, it's a lot of our clients who come to our drop-in are mostly most of them are in crisis mode. Mm-hmm. Something has gone wrong or not right for them to come and seek services and seek some advice and seek some. Sometimes they just need to somebody to talk to. Because they went through something that was very uh, unacceptable and inappropriate, you know. So, so, um, but there has been so many great changes now. I mean, like San Francisco, from from my understanding, is the very first city in the United States that has granted to have this program for uh, gender reassignment uh, coverage for mm-hmm. a lot of folks, especially the uh, low income, you know, uh, income uh, folks that are, uh, who, you know, never in their life will be able to 
pay twenty or thirty thousand dollars for uh, for a vaginoplasty or something, you know. So so, but now they're offering this. So it's it's huge, you know. That people don't get any issues when they need a doctor who can um, an endocrinologist who can prescribe them hormones and everything. So those things are really great, and you have more positive role models now that are out there to to really people look up to. Mm-hmm. My in my days in 1989, you know, 1990, there really there really weren't any role models that we looked into mm-hmm. when we socialized. You know, I I mean, I don't deny the fact I was once the little hottest thing on Larkin Street here, you know. So <laughs> so I did commercial sex work. I did commercial sex work, you know, and and the only times that we could only see each other as a group, you know, would be either on the streets after 10 in the evening or in in the jails because the paddy wagon would just pick up all the girls and, you know, we're, we're, we're deemed as nuisances, you know. We're doing, um, we, we just wearing skimpy outfits and everything. They they pick us up and then we spend a weekend in in jail, mm-hmm. you know. So and then if not that, we're at the bar where we're picking up, you know, tricks and everything and all of stuff. Those were the times that we would just get together. Now you have support groups, you have a drop-in center, you have you have a, a, a conference called um, a gender spectrum that is for yeah. uh, parents and kids uh, who are trans, that. you know. Yeah. So, so it's that. huge. I, I mean, like that. there's so many great, but. But we're not. We we just don't stop there. You know. Exactly. I think we still need to continue. And now that we have this this big dose of just like um, great positive um, role models, stories to tell. You know, even in TV shows now. You know, like Jerry Springer is just like just so way way back there now. You know, <laughs> so kind of like. Yeah, you know, I mean, even those little media stuff, it can hurt so much about us. Like, like the word now, now they're having a fight with RuPaul oh, and Carmen yeah, Carrera. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of like, I'm definitely going to get Ash your guys' opinion. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Is that in the <laughs> It's in the fishbowl. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Me? Um, yeah, so work. So, you know, uh, back when I was working at the front desk of a gym, I actually kind of uh, was transitioning on the job. Kind of in a very public way, mm-hmm. which was interesting. I mean, on average, I saw like several hundred people every day yeah. who were used to seeing me every day, and you know, people notice when you start to change how you look in in those ways that it's usually not expected that someone will change. And uh, that was actually much less difficult than other situations when you know I had been on hormones for a while. Mm-hmm. I was being read as male all the time. Um, but hadn't changed any of my paperwork. To this day, I haven't changed any of my paperwork. It's mm-hmm. kind of, I don't like paperwork, especially if it's just, you know, for something that isn't absolutely necessary. Um, and, you know, now I work in a nonprofit, and most of the people there have only known me as I look now. Mm-hmm. And that comes with its own interesting set of difficulties if you don't have your your paperwork changed. I mean, you know, I also haven't done it because, you know, it's expensive to do it, Mm -hmm. and I have other things that I'd rather spend, you know, a few hundred bucks on. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, so just simple things like, uh, you know, I work in uh, Alameda County, and I 
have worked at my place of employment for quite some time, and I still haven't gotten my county issue. I don't work for Alameda County. Mm-hmm. I work in a building that is um, an Alameda County building, and so everyone who works in there has to have you know an ID, and I have managed to go almost a year without getting this official ID. So I kind of feel like I'm slinking around my own office building mm-hmm. sometimes. So like you go into the place where you work, and I work right across from, you know, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard of people in the building saying that law enforcement who work there, but just in, a, in like a detective's office, will stop them and ask them for ID. Mm-hmm. You know, so like those boundaries of like, you know, when are you a cop on the street? When are you, you know, just <laughs> uh, someone who works in an office building versus mm-hmm. like, when are you doing? Yeah. So it's, that's, that's been interesting. So far, I haven't been stopped, but I have a few, I have a few uh, prepared um, statements. <laughs> 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 I, I feel lucky that I've had time to prepare. Do you internalize a lot of anxiety around that? Going a lot, to work every day? a lot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, every time when I go in the door, whenever I'm not in, you know, our suite of the mm-hmm. building, you know, there's definitely anxiety. And, you know, in the world of trans people of color, like, I'm doing really well. Yeah. You know, I have stable housing. I, you know, have a connection to my family. I have, you know, uh, you know, an affectionate partner. I have, you know, just like a lot of the basics in place that so many people don't have. Yeah. And even with all of that, there are just still these little things that come up all the time. And most of it's unexpected. You know, I didn't take this job and think like, oh, wow, you know, you're going to have to freak out about this idea all the time. I just assume like, oh, something, you know, bureaucratic, logistical will come up. But you, you can never anticipate it until that moment when you realize that you have the option of putting yourself in a potentially really awkward and uncomfortable situation. Um, you know, where if I get this ID made with my legal name, then I'm walking around all the time with an ID with my picture and my legal name on it, which is like a super gendered name. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, which discomfort am I more comfortable with? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like always that assessment. Yeah, you sometimes have, you know, I think I, I agree with Mal here because, it, like for me and some of the girls that I've, I've, been mentoring and all this stuff, you know, they, they, it's, 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 it's kind of funny because they will be whipping it up, like making the hair look so good, making themselves look so good. And then the minute they walk out of their front door, the first thing that they interact with is a mirror. So I'm kind of like, girl, three, three hour, you know, and, and I say that because the thing is that the minute you walk out, you, you really have to think of risk of like people clocking because we're used to a, a lot of a lot of us are expecting that we're gonna someone's gonna tell that they're they're not they're trans or mm-hmm. you know there's something mm-hmm. not right about this girl or something yeah, like yeah. that. And these are you know it sounds kind of like does that really happen? You know it does because they will. I mean be, here in San Francisco. Uh, this little story I have, like, it's like in San Francisco. When I, I lived in Dallas for a short while. Oh, Dallas. Okay. So <laughs> when I was in Dallas, I was just a, an Asian woman. That was it. I went to the supermarket. Guys hit on me because they probably fancy Asian women, you know, and all stuff. No clue of being trans or something. Here in San Francisco, because we have so many, so many different, uh, so many, you know, the, the movement is just going, you know. Mm-hmm. So people are a little bit more aware of it now, you know, and mm-hmm. they're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, and all this stuff. So we, in some way, it's a, it's a 
pro in a con too, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but there are risks. The minute you just walk out the door, you kind of like you don't know what to expect. So, I feel like passing is anything. Like always comes with like an anxiety of being revealed or being yeah. called mm-hmm. out. Like, like there's a secret that you have. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you're trying to protect or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, something worse than being called out. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna draw another question from this fishbowl. Let's see what we got here. Oops. Oh, no, never mind. Purple. All right. Um, what are some accomplishments in your life that you are most proud of so far? Let's start with mom. Accomplishments that I'm most proud of so far? Um, gosh. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of, it's less... It's less kind of like a tangible accomplishment, like I, I, you know, made this thing or I built this boat or I, you know, got this degree, mm-hmm. but more so the act of really learning how to how to think critically with compassion, and I think that's the accomplishment that you know I'm most proud of, and I'm indebted to so many people for you know professors, mentors, uh, you know colleagues, fellow students. And what I mean when I say, you know, learning to think critically with compassion is, you know, right now I feel as though it's it's become really trendy to be critical of anything, mm-hmm. especially in a lot of queer communities mm-hmm. where everyone has learned how to rip things apart and see all the flaws in it, you know, but we also haven't learned to see where... You know, what's the context out of which these flawed forms of resistance arise? Mm -hmm. You know, and that nothing's ever going to be pure or perfect, but that, you know, we have the responsibility to find out what things mean to people who are closest to them, you know? So I think about, you know, I feel like I'm speaking in very abstract terms, but that's kind of you know, the, the framework that I walk around with in, in my mind when I'm, when I'm approaching, you know, both community work and, you know, very, like, deep and rigorous academic work is that I want to I wanna understand what made something what it is today mm-hmm. and how to approach it in a way that pays respect for that history. You know, I'm very invested and curious about history of all kinds. I kind of find myself going down these, like, historical, you know, rabbit holes, um, and that's been really useful, and it's required a lot of people staging interventions on me. You know, it's like I'm someone who's born in the United States. That's a heavy load to think about in terms of how that functions as a very privileged site in the world that doesn't get pointed to a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the easy go-tos right now are race and gender mm-hmm. um, because people have language for yeah. those things, but there's not a lot of language around talking about you know, U.S. national privilege. There's not a lot of language around talking about, you know, uh, you know, secularized Christian cultural dominance mm-hmm. that we live in. And so, you know, a lot of what I try to do is have conversations with people to, you know, uh, spread language about these things. And even, even putting those things forward is something to be critical of. You know, I feel like I'm really well positioned to talk about the ways that, you know, people in the United States, especially a lot of queer communities, you know, forget about, you know, their, their working class white folks, the, the way they think of, forget about a lot of immigrants, a lot of youth you know, really young people, um, you know, even here in the Bay Area where a lot of, you know, queer adults experience a relative degree of, 
you know, empowerment. Mm -hmm. And yet there are so many young people who are just still so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, squabbling about terms, which I think is, it can be a really vibrant space to have debates about language. And I also think we can't let that be the sum total of, you know, our activity, you know, are these debates. We have to make sure that we're keeping in mind all the folks who are in desperate need of immediate life-sustaining resources. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I, just along the line of that, you know, for me, I think, I mean, I can think of so many accomplishments and all this stuff, but I think for me, it, it, not recently, but it's just been ever since I started being r- running Trans Drive, which is our drop-in center, you know, um, this whole cause because I'm I, I I'm always I'm more of hands-on I'm more of like the experience you know um, I I you know I had a promising career in retail to become a buyer for all the stores and everything but I you know turned around and just like this is what I want to do you know so mm-hmm. but um, when I started I when I started supervising being a supervisor of Transdrive. There's this thing called cultural humility that, for me, kind of, like, struck, you know, like, when I heard it, you know, it it just stayed with me, and I had to start talking to people about it, you know, and, and just really understanding, like, um, you know, like, when you say something about, like, you know, being white and privileged, you know, there must, that's loaded. There's there's yeah. a lot of things there, you know, mm-hmm. and for us, and, and for people of color, it becomes kind of like when you're white and privileged, it's such a bad thing, but they really still carry a big burden on their end because they have all these other things that it's maybe times do that will be kind of like because you know they they don't understand people of color uh what the struggles that we go through and everything you know so so those things and then i started also under try to to really bring it down to kind of like why things are happening this way there must be a reason why you know and it digs you have to dig deeper and then understanding it really understanding it and just like just, just to understand it. Don't, don't make your convictions. Don't make your, you know, don't make any thinking or what, you know. Just like, just to understand it. Just to be. I, I mean, that's, and I've been practicing that, you know, because I come from, I come from. I mean, like at one point, I just like, oh, you know, why can't people just take it? You know, I mean, like if it's a privilege, take it. You know, whether you're you're Asian, you're African American, or you're Hispanic or something. Take it, you know, but they can't just take it. They can't because there were things going on there that I I need to understand, you know. So and and that's for me. I think that's an achievement. It's a, a developing achievement for me, you know. I mean, I've done. I got my hands dirty already. I got all of the work done and everything and all stuff. But it's really more now being to that level because. I feel like I have this, well, not a lot, but this teeny weeny, teeny weeny responsibility that people are looking at to me, the, especially the youth now that I, I see in our, in our drop-in, they kind of like, they go directly to my office and they talk to me and I'm like, <laughs> why, you know, and, they, and that's, that's, that's something that I'm not used to because when I was their age, I was I was doing other things, you know. It was there was no role models. There was nobody, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Even the even my parents were kind of like they couldn't understand the concept of being transgender, you know. So, 
So I think it's like, that's interesting. You know, I, I and maybe I'm just reading my own you know interpretations of things onto what you're saying. But I also hear you talking a lot about you know leadership being more than just the person who stands in the front with the fist raised. You know, mm-hmm. I think about leadership in terms of people who, yeah, who have their hands dirty behind the scenes, mm-hmm. who are doing a lot of stuff, people who are into also, you know, thought leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we take a lot of these conversations yeah. mm-hmm. that are happening and, you know, ask people, you know, to very patiently, you know, take a step back and look at an issue from, you know, all the perspectives mm-hmm. that are present. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's impossible. You know, sure. it's an impossible task. Mm-hmm. But to keep that as the goal mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, a lot of the a lot of the, you know, the forms of leadership that at least I try to take on, mm-hmm. you know, just like shifting conversations, you know, where have we hit a wall? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and is is that a real wall or is mm-hmm. that, you know, something that we've made up in our minds? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist if we decide that we want to think around Absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So how do you balance or negotiate all of your identities? I mean, can you speak about times when your identities intersected or challenged each other? Who wants to take on that question first? <laughs> it's kind of loaded. One. <laughs> Alden and I are like really into the two-part <laughs> question. Totally. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because I think for me... You know, the only times that I've ever had to grapple with that is when it's been sort of imposed externally. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, gosh, that's a really tough question to find words for really quickly. Um, You know, one thing that was really difficult for me when I was coming out as trans was that, you know, growing up, you know, mixed race, you know, my mom's Mexican. Mexican-American and my dad is is white, um, you know, I was always kind of perceived as very ambiguously ethnic, you know, like mm-hmm. never assumed to be, you know, Mexican because I came from a middle-class family and in the Central Valley, most Mexicans are understood to be, you know, poor people, day laborers, you know, just a lot of really intense stereotypes. Um, and, you know, so much of, you know, my survival in a, in a place like Fresno that is very, like, social script heavy in its interaction is, you know, just to kind of fly under the radar, to pass, to not ruffle too many feathers, you know, to save my opinions for spaces that I knew would be safe. And that by the time it came for me, you know, to sort of, like, assert myself as you know, as a, as a trans person, I knew that that was going to be going against all of my sort of self-protective mechanisms that had been in place because that's just such a visible form of deviance, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it, it was something that I had to grapple with only because I had to confront the fact that I had tried to fly under the radar with regard to race for so long and not really confront a lot of that really deeply rooted internalized racism and just all the other stuff that comes up. And I think that that, you know, is is a moment when it kind of came into conflict in a way that I never would have anticipated. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) I think for me, it's really... um, I've been very comfortable with my identity as trans, you know, uh, and... um, when I when a situation comes up where I really have to kind of like defend or f- put a little focus when the focus is kind of like on my being trans, I, I I really try to look at the situation and see really. I, I mean I, I I always tell myself choose your battles. You know like really 
really and 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 if you can't really retreat or you can't you have to be at a state of being vulnerable you just have to just really sometimes i mean i i try to control myself and try to just give the best best thing that i can think of that is authentic mm-hmm. you know um yeah i mean i think that's one thing that has been so I mean, I need to, not that I don't, I, I want to be questioned all the time or something, you know, but it's really like, I, I just feel like something, I, I'm at that stage already where I'm, why can't people just be people, you know, you know, I, I was listening to this one, um, one, one uh, co-worker of mine who works in HR, you know, so, and, um, cause there were some talks about, uh, she attended this, this training about, HR, you know, how to deal with diversity and all this stuff, you know, and she was just like, I just look, at, you know, like you, Nikki, I look, you know, I look at you as, as, uh, as a woman, that's it, you know, I mean, the trans is something that, you know, I mean, she's kind of like, you're just a woman, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, and she was giving me some advice because like, we're a little bit more heavy male now in the agency, you know, so people are kind of like, you know, I mean, we, we're getting so diverse right now at the agency and so getting so big that it's just, they need bigger things to go up to, to work with in HR, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense here. So Yeah, you yeah. know, like, totally making sense. Do you find like, I mean, because we live in the Bay Area, we live in California, so I think that sometimes when we, in other parts of the world, of course, you know, it it's definitely can be different. I mean... Have you been in situations where it, I mean, definitely it's like, you know, like you said, you pick and choose your battles, but like, have you ever just been in a situation where you just really like, you know, you were really challenged with who you were and, you know, and, and dealing with the person or the people around you and, you know, I guess it's like taking it from outside of the barrier, outside of California. Hmm. I can think of when I went back to visit the Philippines. I've been, since my, since moving here in 89, I've only been back to the Philippines twice. And the second time, it was not even supposed to happen. The second time was like when I heard my dad really like, so how's my daughter doing? You know, and that was where, I, oh, oh, we, we've changed here. You know, the, the, the air is different now, you know, so kind of like, okay. Visit you all and everything, but when I was back in the Philippines, the Philippines is, is just to give you all an idea. It's ninety eight percent before it was ninety nine percent, but now it's ninety eight percent, still ninety eight percent Catholic, Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, so so when you go there, you still have the male, female, and everything. So immigration, you know, I was leaving the country and everything. You you check in into the main entrance of the airport. Males go here, females go here, you know, and I, I was like, I was nervous. It was hot, and I was like, you know, so I said, what am I going to do here? You know, I'm just going to go directly to, you know, because back in the Philippines, when they see trans, they're kind of like, oh, you're, you're supposed to be in that side or something like that, you know, they, they, they make fun, fun of trans women, you know, because they're, they, lo- they look at the trans women as... As comedy or something, I don't know what they, they ridicule. You know, trans women there and everything. So, so 
I went to the female, and then, okay, that was fine. I went through. No, And then when we got to the immigration where they check out your passport and everything, there's male-female again. And I'm kind of... And then when I went to the female, I said, uh, excuse me, but I think you're supposed to be on the other side. And I'm like... I was like, oh, you know, and then just to get it over with, just to get it over with, I said, I'm just going to go there. And then when I got there, oh, excuse me, ma'am, but you're supposed to be on the other side, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like okay, you know, I kind of like just presented my, and my passport says female, you know, so I just presented a female and then I just pointed it out, you know, because I was just kind of like, I was nervous already. People, I don't want to create a scene. I don't want, you know, and all stuff. So, so and then, and then they kind of like understood already and all stuff. And then they just let me through and everything and all stuff. But it could be very sticky situations, you know. So, try the yellow. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh yeah. So here's one that's a little more topical. Um, Elton and I were talking about. Um, the RuPaul stuff that's going on circulating oh, on the internet. Yay. Um, <laughs> so we were wondering how you guys feel about the reappropriation of the word tranny in within media and within the larger LGBTQ community. You take it first. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wants to put their foot in their mouth first? <laughs> yeah, I feel like no matter what I say, there it's gonna be yeah, someone's gonna be upset. So I'll just say what I think. Um, I think it's a really, I think it's a much more complicated issue than how a lot of people want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, just just to kind of set a context for where I come from when it comes to debates around language is that, you know, I am of the understanding that language is inevitably going to be problematic for somebody. I mean, at the end of the day, we're speaking these words in English, Mm -hmm. and that has just an intense colonial legacy to it. So I'll just leave that alone for a second, Mm -hmm. but just, we're talking English, and and that's no accident right now. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, you know, it's, it's important to, you know, situate often who becomes the the target of our rage against transphobia and transphobic slurs. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, the one drag queen that exists contemporarily, the one black drag queen is the person who is bearing the brunt of critique for this term. And I'm also not someone who has had that term used against me in a violent way or in a violent moment. So I also want to be really respectful of the voices who have experienced exactly. that as an intense slur yeah, exactly. um, to be able to be heard and to have that taken seriously. Do I think that the response is that nobody can use that word? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, but I think that it's, it's an important conversation to have. And to me, you know, having the conversation itself is more crucial than deciding whether or not to use the word. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah. Words are always changing. Like, I mean, we can even just say that within our own community. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Words are just always changing in how we identify ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally agree with Mo. Just, with, you know, it's just being able to educate ourselves and just co- co- keep on having that conversation. You know, be res- mindful of the people that, you know, have had to deal with it in a negative way. And, and for those that aren't using it in that way, uh, we still have to be... We still have to keep having that conversation so that we can still educate ourselves that, you know, things are changing. Let's just 
keep going with the flow of things. Yeah, I mean, on my end, I really feel more of like, you know, you have to, and I, I, I'm more concerned about like the impact uh, and, you know, the impact of this to not only for like RuPaul or Carmen or something, but really more like for the communities that are first, that are not L, not LGBTQI, you know, mm-hmm. because they're having a feast with this, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, it's like you put two, it, it reminds me of like the Gladiator movie where, you know, you're being thrown into this and you got all these people who you do not know. It's a great image. You yeah. know, trying to, yeah. like, yeah. trying to make you all fight each other and also, or they're the ones who's forming things in their minds of like, oh, this is how they are, this is how they, you know, and all mm-hmm. stuff, you know. I just wish that uh, folks who are involved could be really be more mindful yeah. about yeah. this because, Again, there's a productive way of how to address something like this. There's also a destructive way of how to address something like this. It can destroy so many things. I mean, we do, we've do, we're, we're doing so much good progress from the from the trans kids, trans youth, and everything. And then you're gonna have something like this that will just like, you know, destroy everything because of just just one word that, you know. Do I use the word, you know, tranny? You know, maybe at one point I did, but I understand now how it could be, you know, such a derogatory for someone who is not living that lifestyle or that being being trans and all this stuff. It could be because if you're, if it, how is it, how is it being, you know, said to one person, yeah. you know, so, who's saying it? How is it being said? Yeah. What's the, what's what's the, the delivery of it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've heard it used in so many different ways mm-hmm. that I don't even know what it means necessarily mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. 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 It's amazing how context can either make something like. Really empowering, really disempowering, and like mm-hmm. the snap of a finger. Yeah, huh? yeah, and and I also think that you know that's kind of one of the one of the more unfortunate things about social media is that there's this really important and rich conversation that is taking place, but it's taking place for everyone to see who mm-hmm. is not a part of that community mm-hmm. and who don't understand. It's a public forum. Yeah, everyone has their opinion. Yeah, it's like you know I. I, I'm very much about, you know, interrupting these kind of, like, fictive binaries of, like, the public and the private mm-hmm. realm, mm-hmm. but sometimes there's just some dirty laundry that you should get to wash once, you know, at home mm-hmm. behind closed doors, and then maybe again outside a yeah. second time in kind of a, a more polished version. I mean, like, we're glad, you know, just to, not to prolong this issue, but it's kind of like, like, glad right now. You're... It, I'm feeling they're not really being very... I mean, like, when it's a hetero man who says this and this and that, you know, they're like right on it. They're like, you know, you bring the whole, you know, 500 backup dancers to just like ah, attack and this, this person. Now they're being very careful about it, but it's kind of like, what happened? You know, it, the impact of how people feel, how people act, how people react, you know, that's where that concerns me more because then we should learn from experiences like this. We really should learn. And like Mao said, we should just really kind of like, you know, understand what the situation, maybe there are things that just needs to be kept, like, you know, talked about behind. Yeah. Yeah. So So how do you think RuPaul's handling it? Do you think that uh, 
Yeah, like, uh, how do you think that RuPaul is handling the situation? I mean, I was just over the weekend listening to an interview, and mm-hmm. and I felt like the focus of the conversation was, is, like, stop being a victim of the word. And mm-hmm. in one sense, I do understand that, you know, you have to be mindful of the people that have had to, have been victims of that word being used in a negative way, and then others that, you know, haven't. And, but I felt like through that, that interview that it was pretty much just it came down to just stop being a victim of the word, you know, let's step out from this, this kind of box and really like move forward and, and show our strength as a community. I mean, mm-hmm. do you feel that RuPaul is handling the situation in, in, a, in a good way or you know, what, what's your opinion of that? I, <laughs> I think that, um, and you know, what I've also the, of what RuPaul, Ru's done with the community too, you know. Mm-hmm. That it's like, and I, I the, yeah, my one, opinion is going to fall the same way. So one thing that one thing that I think is, you know, just as I think about, you know, the word tranny having multiple meanings, I also already think of RuPaul as multiple. You know, like <laughs> RuPaul behind closed doors. Like, what does this person actually think? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. RuPaul, the person who has you know struggled to make it acceptable to be like a, a public figure as a drag queen like Mm -hmm. what does that person think versus you know this iteration of RuPaul who is just like sensationalist on the show like fast talking sassy lady um that's that's just so complex and 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 yeah layered in and of itself but I also think that you know there 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 might be ways to go about it that would not inspire so much ire from people who are already feeling super um, triggered by by this word being used so much more frequently because of the popularity of it. You know, and once something goes mainstream like that, then everybody feels like they have ownership over these terms, you know, and I think one thing that was really interesting is, you know, one of the the drag queens, Honey Mahogany, made a really interesting point on uh, a Facebook thread where people keep saying, like, oh, this is just a word, this is just a word, why don't people just get over it? And, you know, she was saying, well, if it's just a word, we can make the experiment of just not using it anymore, mm-hmm. you know, which I thought was just like a really yeah. powerful and intelligent reinscription mm-hmm. of that whole it's just a word narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I maybe like piggyback on this? Because I wanted to yeah. hear what you both think too. Speaking of media, I mean, what do you think about, um, you know, whenever anything about trans identity comes up in the media, there's so much focus on the body, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that comes yeah. up constantly. I mean, Interviews. I mean, all the questions are focused on the body and the transition. I mean, what do you both think about that? Well, I think there is this, um, um, when Carmen Carrero was at the Katie Couric show, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's where, and Laverne Cox also were, yeah. both of them patrolled Miss Thing, you know, and, and <laughs> just like, and, and she was just like, oh my God, you know, she was just like taken back and all this stuff. It is unfortunate that a lot of media really focus on that and that because, like, when when you when I started seeing um, uh, trans roles in in TV shows and all stuff, you know, kind of like I think people you could I, I don't hear it, but I could feel it that people are they going to talk about you know. Uh, gender reassignment surgery, things like that, you know, and and it was it, it's very unfortunate that this is happening. That this is how people look at trans individuals out there, you know. Why can't people just look at like we're people, we're human beings. We also, you know, we're like you, you know. So, um, 
I'm glad that, you know, Carmen and Laverne did, did that in a way. Poor Katie, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it had to happen. Yeah. You know? And then here you, here you have Janet Mock following up on it too you know like in, in, in it with the Pierce Morgan thing and all the stuff so it, it in some way it's good it's some way we, we we have control we can I don't know if I can say that like we have control over it but I think we can continue the conversation to really take the focus away from that concept you know mm-hmm. because you're gonna have other people who still will keep on keep pushing that issue yeah. and we can just like no, yeah. we, we don't want to talk about this, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, we, you know, my brain always, like, goes back to, like, the, the um, you know, the larger, you know, cultural context. Mm-hmm. And I think about how we rely so heavily on the visual, at least for people who, you know, have capacities with sight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a huge oversignification of what we see. We make assumptions about people's gender, you know, and from that we make assumptions about sexuality, we make assumptions about, you know, people's, you know, socioeconomic class based on what they're mm-hmm. wearing, about, you know, what, what race they are, you know, what language they might speak. And so, you know, we're, we're relying so heavily on what we see, you know, and, and how is that already just, you know, something that's just super problematic and is going to lead you to, you know, often some really large assumptions and incorrect conclusions about folks. And so, you know, I think that that focus on the body with regard to trans people is just a desire to take something that is, you know, ambiguous and new and different and sometimes just like, you know, quite gorgeous in its defiance of, you know, binary understandings and you're trying to make that thing knowable once again, you know, and for so many people, gender is such this complex space, you know, I've, I've, I've been with partners that were very clearly visibly gendered, you know, but resisted gender in, in such subversive ways, you know, and how they, you know, uh, you know, I, women, you know, who are just really strong and assertive and women who don't feel a sense of guilt when they're not taking care of people around them because women are given this really intense narrative mm-hmm. of being caretakers. But so often that's ignored yeah. as gender deviance, mm-hmm. you know, or gender queerness, you know, like people who might present as perfectly feminine, but just be like very oddly gendered in their practices mm-hmm. of woman. And I think that, you know, if, if we were able to, to pay attention to the ways that gender functions in ways that just aren't just aren't sorry that aren't only visual representations we would be able to have much more creative conversations about gender and more people would be able to feel connected to the project of undoing binary gender if they understood that they were actually already participating in it mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion what are some examples where you've seen it work and not work we love these loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs> putting us on the spot. <laughs> like, like a famous uh, candidate from Miss Universe said, could you repeat the question, please? <laughs> Diversity. Hmm. Well, Clem said something earlier about, you know, like sometimes the tea is just like, you know, I think I'll start with. For me, I'll start with the um, with the the negative of you know. I mean, like the impact, negative impact. It's like it, it's it's. For me, I always thought that my my fight 
uh, as a trans person, has always been uh, a ship on its own. You know, um, it's nice to have. The, the gays and lesbians, you know, uh, brothers and sisters. But at the end, it's me who's battling. It's me who's trying to make that effort to get something that I need, you know, or achieve something that I would like to achieve. So, um, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's just that's how I feel about things. I just feel like my the tea has always been. We, we, we the, I mean, I'll be, I'll be gutsy and ballsy here, you know. I mean, the tea is always included whenever, oh, let's include everybody and everything and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, oh, leave, it's okay. Leave the tea at the back there, you know, and let's, we got it already. Thank you, you know. And then when we need the L, G, and B, you know, where are you? Yeah. So you, you like, is there like a hierarchy sometimes? Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, yeah. yeah. I, you can, uh, you can say that that's something that is so obvious. Like sometimes you just feel kind of like, you know, we, we don't even know our, our, how we can claim space or how we can be there, you know? So not like them, they're all this. And then class, you know, most of these folks, you know, are, 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 they don't, won't have any problems getting a job, won't have any problems being accepted in a in a in a uh, uh, neutral environment or something, you know. So, just more, I think this still needs to be talked about there, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. One one thing that I think about is you know one place that I've seen. Well, I also think that these words, you know, diversity and inclusion, like once they start being used by corporations, you know mm-hmm. that they're a little bit more dead than they used to yeah. be. Um, <laughs> they kind of they kind of become a little bit like shells of themselves, and now they're really trendy catchphrases. And you, yeah. we hear this like you know social justice and oppression and diversity and inclusion and you know all of these things are really trendy right now. Um, and I think that you know there's there's uh, a reason why they're really trendy is because a lot of people did a lot of work for many many decades to make sure that these were conversations that could happen and now unfortunately you know with increased visibility always you know lurking in the corner is co-optation and you know one place in in my you know academic experience professional experience where that's you know, played out in really fruitful ways is uh, in my graduate education. I kind of, you know, found this little motley collection of, you know, academic riffraff who didn't really fit in anywhere, you know, who weren't, you know, committed enough to any one identity to follow, you know, a studies track, either like ethnic or gender or anything else like that, but who were just invested in thinking about difference and how do we learn to you know, feel entitled to live our own forms of difference and also to support other people doing that as well. You know, one thing that I've, I've seen a lot in the Bay Area is, you know, people use this word community mm-hmm. and they use it in really glib ways and mm-hmm. don't talk about what it is. But quite often, you know, my experience of, you know, even like queer or trans communities in the Bay Area is, you know, a group of people who have come together and are committing to, you know, policing one another's identities in relation to that identity. And I'm becoming less interested in a politics of diversity and more interested in a politics of difference, you know, as the word diversity is becoming sort of like emptied from the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, we gotta light one now. What do you do for fun? <laughs> <laughs>
Best transition yeah. ever. Perfect <laughs> segue. Oh, I'll say it as flying <laughs> colors. Yeah, you're, 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 you're ready. Yeah, well, you're there. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's no, it's just so interesting with this question because. Um, I'm such a workaholic. Like, people, my, my supervisor would always tell me, well, they'll force me to take a day off or something. They, they'll say all the things like, you're not earning any vacation hours anymore. You just you just have to go. You have to go give your, your sick hours to other people who need it, you know? So, and I'm kind of like, okay, you know. But um, this, when you're immersed in uh, in uh, like a 20 year career or like HIV or something like in that field, you, you sometimes really wonder. And you've seen everything. You've seen everything from no medications to, I mean, now you can just like pick whatever you want and you'll be, you know. I um I told myself like you know what am I gonna be doing? You know, I'm like I mean how long? Will I, the other last week, someone kind of like, well, we want you to be an advisor or something like that, you know. So I'm kind of like, oh, stepping back, slowly stepping back, and all this stuff. So this that past month, what I did was, I, my my passion really is like, I've always been, I like fashion, you know, I like fashion, I love fashion, and the reason I love fashion is because. I can't wear them, but I like to see them and everything. And if I can't wear them, I want to create them, mm-hmm. you know. So now I went into, I, I'm studying fashion designing. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that, and I got my little sewing machine. My God, the sewing machines, you just put, you just cl- one click and everything just, it just goes <laughs> on, you know. So so I'm learning all this and my mind's working again. I think just try to learn new things again for me. And then I like, um, I, I, I like going to, um, we call this one uh, Great America. You know the uh, yeah. this this theme parks and everything. So mm-hmm. I I have way less fun of a fun answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> way less fun. Um, I really really like uh, reading history. Um, that's probably something that has been real just incredibly formative. I kind of have this desperate obsession with understanding why things are the way they are. And um, some of my most exciting moments have happened, you know, quietly in my room, you know, reading about the history of Christianity between the years 312 and 394. And that'll be like all I think about for an entire week. And you know, my, my partner often, you know, teases me pretty hardcore about how seriously I take myself. But in those <laughs> moments, in those moments, it, it feels like a puzzle in my head, wow. you know, and, and it's like I see all these pieces that I've collected along the way and they're all scattered in my brain. And it's, it's literally like when you're finding a puzzle piece and, and you're looking around and you're sifting through and then you see it there and you take it and you start the corner of the image. Mm-hmm. And then you start to build, you know, more and more of this image and little pieces of it are disconnected, but eventually they come together, you know, when you study history in a really precise way. So it becomes kind of this like gorgeous mosaic that ends up having this like, you know, gestalt effect at the end. Am I, am I butchering that German word? Okay. Anyway, um, and it just—it's—it's it's the most stimulating thing that I can do, and I love doing it. And so that's what I do for fun. <laughs> well, as long as you love doing it, yeah. Know. I mean, at some point, it's like that—that that information that you're absorbing is going to be something that you're going to use at some point. Yeah, time, and it—and it feels like when I was young, uh, 
it, it was a, a hundred piece puzzle piece, you know, and then when I got older, it turned into a thousand piece puzzle piece. And the older and older I get, the more I realize that there are probably more pieces than I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean I should give up and stop collecting them. Right. Um, that's awesome. So that's awesome. Do you have any words you live by? Hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, we have gestures we look at. <laughs> more. I would say more. More? Why more? Um, I'm, I'm voracious when it comes to learning. Um, I always, you know, every book I read, I, I read the, the references, you know, all those notes in the back that no one really ever reads in books. I go through <laughs> and look for my next reading list. So every book I read from that book, there's 10 more that I have to read. So I have this exponential relationship to um, book ownership where it's almost time that my books start contributing to the rent because I think they're really taking <laughs> more space. And when that big San Francisco earthquake hits, I'm going to find myself under a pile of books because I just stacked them inappropriately high right up <laughs> oh my bed. My <laughs> yeah, so more. More. Yeah. How about you, Tita? Words? Yeah, word, um, words. I don't know. I mean... I don't think I have any words that I, you know, kind of like live by or base my, you know, I, it's really more of like, um, I think my priority has been, has shifted. I mean, I, I let things happen. I let things happen for me. And I just, I, I remember things and what people have said, you know, like, you know, this big question right now for me, like why my, you know, when my dad, I, sp I speak with my dad now, um, more, more versus before or once every, his birthday, you know, so, but, um, you know, he asked me a very interesting question. He said, so are you going to go all the way, you know? And I think I know what that, I mean, I'm not going to make him suffer or something like that, you know, you mean, and I said like, you mean, you know, gender reassignment surgery, you know? And then he asked me, is that what they call it? You know, it's like, you know, yeah. I was like, you know, um, and he, he cracked this joke that was just like so, you know, and I don't know how what he meant about it. I, for me, it was like, a, you know, I said, well, is it working? You know, and it's like. I mean, I'm comfortable with it, I said, you know, because we never had that kind of, like, candid, you know, talks and everything and all that. But he, but he just said, like, well, I was wondering, you know, if you're okay with it and, you know, why fix something that ain't broken, you know? And he was just coming from a perspective where he cares and all that stuff. So, so sometimes, that's why I don't have any words to live by because sometimes it just, it could be different things for me and all this stuff, you know? So, but he meant very well on that one. He was just really, because back in the Philippines, we had, my, my mom has some transgender friends who, gone through gender reassignment surgery and there were butcher jobs. There were not, the results were not really very pleasant, you know? So I think he was coming from that, you know? And I feel kind of like, okay, you know? So Place of understanding. Yeah. But I don't have no words, you know? Maybe it won't come up by the end of this Later. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we maybe covered this one a little bit, but um, 
Can you share your experiences about coming out and how do you think the experience has changed over time? It feels like it never ends. Mm. I, I think you know. I, I think that's that's one thing that we that we you know, kind of touched I upon mm-hmm. just peripherally earlier. But it's just really, you know. And I feel like it's it's very. It, 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 it's also this case for a lot of you know queer folks too. Is that there's just this endless process of mm-hmm. of you know coming out. You know, let's say you're you know with a new you know healthcare practitioner and you're talking about reproductive health mm-hmm. or you know the health of your sexual organs and. You know, you have to explain to people what it is you do with your body and what it is people do with your body. You know, there's that moment, you know, when you're trans, there's, you know, like I was saying, like going to work every morning, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm going to have to explain why I don't currently have an ID to some police officer that works in my building. Um, you know, some people at work know, like the finance people who cut my checks and a lot of other people don't know, but there are moments where it would make sense for me to tell people and I have to make that mm-hmm. assessment of whether or not I have the energy to do that or if I want to have that conversation and you're weighing the best possible scenario against the worst possible scenario and everything in between um, just to try to prepare yourself, which, you know, preparing yourself in that way is just a desperate attempt at regaining control over a situation yeah. where you have none. Um, and so, yeah, it's it feels never-ending. I've been very lucky in a lot of ways. You know, I've, I've had I've had... You know, partners respond well. I've had, you know, people I go to school with respond well for the most part. You know, family uh, has been slow, has been slow, but, you know, has been has been pretty good. Always, siblings can be helpful in that way. Sort of like the sibling ally, I've really benefited from, you know, my little sister a whole bunch. Um, she's, she's real special to me. And, you know, because she can be there to be an advocate for me when my parents are, you know, talking about me and, you know, referring to me with certain gendered pronouns and they hear her talk yeah. about me and that just sort of makes it a little bit more okay for them to mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. how they how they gender me and how they talk about me. And, yeah, sibling allies, I, I'm a big a proponent of those, you know, especially, you know, the younger and younger people are, you know, yeah. the better to get them on board. Yeah, yeah I never, I, for me, I mean, the concept of coming out, it's like, I mean, I think every day you come out, you know, because you encounter situations, you, you'll encounter situations that you know you'll encounter, and you'll encounter situations that you know you're not, unexpectedly, and you just have to come out. I, I mean, was there a special coming out for me? I don't think so. Maybe when I, when, <laughs> it's, it's funny, because I, I can be a stand-up comic with all the experiences that I've had, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> like, like, I... For me, I would say a coming out would be like when I had to go to the emergency room, you know, and this nurse was asking me all these questions and like, when was your last menstruation, you know? And I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm transgender and I don't think I have menstruation and everything (laughs) and all that stuff. And for me to kind of like, you know, it's like, because I'm holding that secret, you know, and all this stuff. So, so I kind of like sometimes... It's, it's just like, it's every day, you know, and it could be meaningful. It could be less meaningful, you know. So finding it like a celebration every day, you know, being able to just be true to yourself and... Mm. It could be expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gender is a social construct, true or false? Um... Mm. 
I think that <laughs> you know, I think that that's a hard question to answer, true or false, because um, I think that. So I'll say yes and no. I'll say yes because a lot of the ways that we are taught to think about gender, to understand gender, are very rigid, very narrow, you know, have have developed over a long period of time into what we understand to be gender today. You know, it's like even you know, uh, 100 to 150 years ago, you know, the, the, the division of labor that we see today that we understand is a gendered division of labor, you know, was something that came about through, you know, series of, you know, employment laws in, you know, England and the new colonies. You know, mm-hmm. first they made laws about, you know, children not being able to work a certain number of hours a day, and then they had all these children running amok in the street. So they said, okay, well, someone has to stay home to, you know, watch these people. Okay, well, you know, now we're going to limit women's work hours so that it's only a supplemental income. So right there, you have these narratives of, you know, men being the primary breadwinner and women staying at home with children, something that didn't exist, you know, prior to, you know, the mid-late 1800s, possibly. I might be getting those dates wrong a little bit. But, uh, yeah, right right there, something that people accept is very natural in a lot of places, um, you know, and is now written into our laws and our economy and all of that jazz. So, you know, in in that way, yes, you know, very, very much constructed. And I think that the way people relate to those constructs can often come from a very deeply innate sense of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that negotiating those constructs, you're pushing back on something that was created as a way to understand yourself without your volition. You had had little participation in the constructs of binary gender, wherever you are, if binary gender is, in fact, something that exists where you are. You know, and that gender, you know, even if you think about, you know, what a a manly man looks like in the United States, in Ireland, in, you know, Germany, in the Philippines, in India, like, all five of those versions of manly man are already going to look so different, you know? So there is a lot of cultural specificity with regard to how we think about gender, and everyone's resistance to it is also culturally specific mm-hmm. and comes from a deep sense of themselves quite often. So yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's really like, I mean, I'm glad you pointed out, like, you know, in the Philippines, there was no transgender at when I was growing up, you know. I only saw one trans person and she was at the lobby of a hotel playing this musical organ, you know. And that was my role model and I was like and and I'm kind of like I wondered where does she belong, you know, if she is in between and everything, you know. So so it's just like it's hard, you know. There never has been any standards even for trans for trans women. What is a trans woman, you know? So Yeah, and I think that's just uh, one thing that I think a lot of queer and trans folks who are, you know, U.S. born and raised need to be super mindful of mm-hmm. is that it can be a really intense form of cultural imperialism to impose your definitions yeah. of what it is to be a queer or a trans person onto people from very different places, you know, and that's something just to be really conscious of, you know, as we're, as we're spreading, you know, our new found American queer and trans freedom mm-hmm. and now, you know, targeting other places and saying that they're not queer and trans friendly, you know, in a lot of ways they may not be, you know, in, 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 in a way that we would understand them to be, but perhaps there are spaces where people go that aren't, you know, as public as what we would imagine, you know, a, a free queer and trans space to be, you know, unless you have like a real deep understanding of a cultural context, it's really 
difficult to say whether or not they are queer or trans friendly. Yeah. You know, maybe that looks totally different from how we understand it, and that that's okay, and we have to be really careful, which doesn't mean that how we're doing it here is bad or wrong. It just means that it's different, and we have to be respectful of that. Yeah. So I think we're going to ask uh, one more question and then wrap up. So let's see. Shake that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what changes have you seen in the Bay Area trans community? Huh. There's a lot. What changes? Maybe what? About, what? 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 I would probably <laughs> rephrase that. What are the changes that you have not seen in the Bay Area? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, for me, someone who has been working with the community hands-on. Um, there's been a lot of positive changes, I believe. Um, I think people are a little bit more accept, uh, they're more accepting now. There's more, I mean, I, I come from a, um, I, I, I like to th see things being implemented, you know, so, um, before we, like, I go to, the, to 850 Brian to do a support group for the trans women in there, uh, once once uh, once a month, and they're in a separate cell. They're with the men, but they have their own cell because it could be potentially risky for them, you know, um, to, they'll be vulnerable there. So, so, I mean, specifically, there's, there really isn't, I mean, I think we're moving to the right direction here. There's so many things going on. We have trans leaders now, you know, yeah. in place, like, like Cecilia Chung, who's a good sister and friend of mine, you know, um, Teresa Sparks, who is now the executive director of uh, H, the, not the HRC, but the uh, Human, Human Rights Commission, Commission you know. Yeah. So, so these things, these things, I think we should celebrate in them, all these changes, you know. There are some changes that are not good also, you know, like, um, you know, like it's like my biggest challenge really is reaching the, this hard-to-reach population of uh, sex workers, commercial sex workers that are trans, because now, when I was doing commercial sex work, we had pages and we had the ads. Now they're online. They're, you know, so those things, it's just like sometimes you can't catch up to those things and you know that they're the most who need uh, prevention work and, you know, to to gain their trust and be there for them, you know. Um, I come from that perspective. You know? I'm sure there are other things there. I think I see, I'm glad to see more families now that are, you know, both either both trans or one is trans and they have kids and everything. That I, I celebrate in that. I really celebrate in that because I didn't have that. I didn't yeah. really have that when I was growing up or something. So, you know. Yeah, I think the Bay Area is really just a real it's a you know, it's a wonderfully intense hub where people come here for so many different reasons, looking for, you know, so many different things and one thing that you know people have to do is you know negotiate all of those different relationships to why they're here you know some people just want to be here and just live their lives yeah. you know some people want to be here and get ahead professionally because you have more options here you know some people want to be here because they want to you know shake things up and you know think really hard about different kinds of social issues and i think you know I think increasingly, you know, if people are willing to, you know, continue to be bold and stand up for what they believe in, you know, that space will continue to grow. You know, we also just have to be really careful 
and hold ourselves incredibly accountable and just take you know, the responsibility that we have being people in a big urban center and make sure that we're, we're thinking outside of the Bay Area bu- bubble, you know, and, and ensure that a lot of the work we do gets to the places that, that needs a lot of that in, in ways that, that, that respect that, you know, just because you're not the Bay Area doesn't mean that you can't also think critically about gender and sexuality and race and immigration. You know, these issues are present no matter where you go. In some places, there's a much larger container for them, you know, like the Bay Area. So, you know, one thing that really excites me is is ensuring that, you know, the, the, the work that I do gets all over California and beyond. Awesome. Well, Clem and I definitely want to say thank you to the both of you for sharing a bit of yourselves with Queer Clouders and Allies, our SoundClouder peers, and all our listeners. If there was anything that you wanted to leave us with, um, you know, words of advice, um, one last thing that you want to share with all of us, what would that be? Keep talking and be patient with one another. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same line with that. Um, yeah, let's let's just continue talking about, you know, the issues that will help us understand each other more. There's so many things that need that we can explore and and accomplish when we really start talking about things and and it can it doesn't have to be always all pleasant talk, but it could also be um I don't want to say arguments, but it could be, you know, conversations that really try to understand not only our perspective, but everyone's perspective. Mm -hmm. Healthy debates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, um, where could they find information? Ooh. I know Google does a lot, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, gosh, I'm on on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I have, yeah, the, the, the Chico Moreno blog on Tumblr. Uh, I have a little profile on the um, Human Rights Commission's LGBT Advisory Committee page, so you can just look up the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, and there'll be some information about me there. I also have an OK Cupid. I think, I mean, for me, I mean, uh, now, like, everyone's on Facebook. I think you can easily find yeah. my information on Facebook. I saw found Mao there, too, you right. know, so. Um, but uh, API, you know, I think when it comes to Bay Area, HIV, API stuff, you can just, my, my name pops up all the time. Tita Ida is always there. Um, yeah, and I, I had to, I discontinued my website because it was, I, I, it was a big responsibility, you know. I mean, not only the maintenance of it, but the but the folks that I I reach out out there and they send me emails like, "Oh, you live in America. That's such a great country." And every, and these are folks who are living in countries that are that can't be themselves, you know. And that kind of like made me helpless, you know. So, but you can look me up at Facebook, you know, Tita Ida. Well, we're hoping to carry on the conversation, and we hope that our listeners out there definitely reach out with their questions because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, this is going to be, we're going to continue learning from our experiences and sharing our experiences and 
really learning more about our community and uh, empowering ourselves with words and the changes that we go nice. through together. So <clears throat> yeah. again, Clem and I definitely want to say thank you to you, Mauro, you. and Tita Ida. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. This has been a lively conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this, is kind of, this is a nice warm-up for Pride. <laughs> yeah, warm-up yeah, for so Pride. <laughs> um, and we're so glad to be sharing your guys' stories um, in celebration of SF Pride Month. So uh, thanks again to our listeners out there, and stay tuned in for our next episode. Thank you.